So two weeks ago, two Sundays ago, we were talking about a cutting away of things that hold you back. Remember that? Alex was on stage, we cut his hair off as a symbolic symbol of that. And, uh, and last week, what did we speak about? We spoke about values, right? We spoke about then what do we want to be? And we spoke about, so the first day we spoke about the who and following him. And um, last week we spoke about the what, the values. And there are many more, and we'll be speaking about them for years, hopefully. But tonight I'd like to speak about the why, if that's okay. And, and the why underpins the values. I mean, why do we want to be a holy people? Why do we want to be surrendered? Why do we want to be all those things that you guys said we should be? Why do we do that? And you can say, yes, because of Jesus, but I'm going to, I want to try and dig a little bit into that tonight. So if you'll bear with me, we're going to dig into some scriptures tonight. So for a change, we're going to be doing that, which sounds terrible, I know. But, but um, so put your thinking caps on a little bit. If you have a notepad, grab that. Um, Maybe don't use your phone because you're going to get messages. Put it on flight mode, then use your phone, okay? Okay? All right. And I hope this leads to a deeper understanding and, and a deeper intimacy with the Father and with Jesus. So I want to start like this. I want to talk about covenant. Now, covenant is a big old word. And if you, if, you, if you guys see the word in front of you, what do you think when you hear covenant? A contract? An agreement? Or is it more than that? Because it's, it's much more than that. It's a binding promise. And it's often, historically, it was associated with ceremony and symbolism. A lot of things happened when people made a covenant. And it wasn't often that it was made, but it was part of, especially the ancient culture, to make covenants. These days, there aren't many around in the world. And it got even more serious than that. Then you would get a blood covenant. And a blood covenant says, I will do, I agree to do something, and if I don't, I may die. And you agree to do something, and if you don't, you die. That's a that's a that's a, a blood covenant. Have you have, have you guys ever made vows? Most married people have made vows, I hope. And often you often you just make a vow, like Lord, I promise I never do this. That's a vow. So that's that's an oath you're making. That's not a covenant. A covenant has uh, there's an agreement. There's a promise and there's a consequence if you don't. There's a blessing and a consequence. And it takes at least it takes two parties. So the covenant that we are in, you might have heard we're in the new covenant. And we say that quite, we're in the new covenant. And there was an old covenant. But what does that mean? Interestingly, we have in the Bible, we have the Old Testament and the New Testament. The word testament could be replaced with Old Covenant, New Covenant, actually. You can see it that way. Now, in the covenant with the Father, there are three things. Firstly, it's a unique covenant. I'll talk about that. 
Secondly, there's a mystery about this covenant, which is especially where I want your thinking caps on. And then I want to speak about the hero of that covenant. The Bible is, is full of covenants. You see it, even see it in Genesis in the Garden of Eden. You see it with Noah. You see it with Abraham. You can, it's very exciting stories. You can see it with Israel. You can see it with David. And then the new covenant that, that, that Jesus brings. So I want to unpack tonight what a covenant is and why we should know that we are actually part of one. Because that's, if you, are a, if you call yourself a Christian, you have made it. Or maybe you don't realize that you actually have entered into a covenant and I'm here to show you that you have or you're supposed to. And towards the, evening or the, e the end of the evening, I'd like to give you an opportunity to choose whether you really want to renew this covenant. You want to consciously step into it now that you know how heavy it is. And if you've never done it, to consider that as well. So firstly, let's talk about what one is. Clayton, can you throw up Deuteronomy 29 from 12, please? All right. You're standing here today to enter into a covenant with the Lord your God. A covenant the Lord is making with you this day and sealing with an oath to confirm you this day as his people that he may be your God as he promised you and as he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. I am making this covenant with its oath, not only with you who are standing here with us today in the presence of the Lord our God, but also with those who are not here today. So it's a broader thing. So there's a lot into that. This was, this was one of Moses' sermons towards the end of his life. He regarded this as really important, one of his last messages. So if you look at that part, there's a lot of stuff in there, but I want to pull some things out. That's, isn't that cool about Scripture? You're always like, what's the Holy Spirit teaching you now? That's why it's so cool to, to look at stuff like this. Firstly, do you guys see the language of love and intimacy that is, that is there? It's not this general giving orders. You speak about his people. Not the people, his people. He speaks about, I'll be your God, our God. So there's a personal relationship there. If, you, if I say... My, my oh, Anya, Anya, there's Anya. They're sitting in the, the fifth graders plus sitting in this meeting today. Nice to see you, Ethan. They're, they're in, in the meeting today to, I think, guess, take notes. So that's Anya, that's my oldest daughter. So, so if I say, oh, there's Anya, then you go, oh, there's a child, her name is Anya. But if I say, there's my Anya, what is, what's the difference there? It's ownership, it's relationship. It's love. You guys see the difference? There's my Anya. Do you guys remember Cindy and James? Cindy Corbett and James Thornhill Fisher, they got married. And since they got married, how do they refer to each other? Where's my Cindy? Where's my James? Even if they post stuff on Facebook, they're in England now. Where's my Cindy? Where's my James? And it's, it's such an amazing picture of love, right? It struck me when they, when they, when they, when they speak like that. 
And that's the same language that the Father uses here. He says, you are my people, I'll be your God. I won't be any God, just up there, I'll be your personal God, and you're my personal people. It refers to intimacy. So that's one part of a covenant. It requires intimacy. And then secondly, it says, I'm sealing with an oath. Okay, so that's like a vow. That is more serious. It's a language of law. It's like something must happen or something else will happen. That's the serious, that's the law side. So it, there's a legal relationship as well in a covenant. So it is, so it's, it's a more loving relationship than merely a legal agreement. And it's a much more legal relationship than, more, than merely a contract or a friendly relationship. And this, this language you actually see throughout the Bible. The Father constantly says, I will be your God and you will be my people. Who's read that before? Okay, most of you have not worrying. Okay. It's said 43 times in the Bible, all the way from Genesis to Revelations. And I'm going to just, for those who are taking notes, it's not going to go up because we really don't have that much time here. But Deuteronomy 29, 13 Genesis 17.8, Exodus 29.45, Leviticus 26.45, Ezekiel 14.11, Zechariah 8 verse 8, get the recording. <laughs> Jeremiah 32.38, Jeremiah 31.1, Jeremiah 7.23, New Testament, 2 Corinthians 6.16, Hebrews 8 verse 10, the same thing gets said. From the beginning right to the end, Revelations 21 verse 3, I will be your God, you will be my people. The Father is saying that from the beginning to the end. That's his message. He wants to draw you in into a personal relationship. I will be your God. You will be my people. That's his heart. So in the world, what does relationships normally look like? Even perceived covenants. What do most let's call it worldly marriages, look like these days. I will do my part if you do your part. How often have you heard that? And people think it's okay to have a marriage like that, right? I'll do my part if you do your part. That's most contracts these days is I will pay you if you do your service. If I give you my service, you will pay me. Okay, that's not a covenant. That's a contract. But that's how people see covenant these days. The way a covenant should be is I will do what I need to do whether you do what you're supposed to do or not. That's what a marriage is like. I must do what I agree to do irrespective of whether the other party does what she says she would do. Then you have a working marriage. If you have a contractual marriage, then it's not going to work. That is just, guys, for you married people or people who want to get married, that's a secret to, getting, to having a good marriage. If you understand covenant, it works. So I'll be, I'll be what I need to be even if she isn't what she said or she committed to be. If one says, if, if, but if one person says that, my fan... But if one person commits to that, I'll be what I need to be, whether you are that or not, 
and the other person doesn't do their part, that's abuse. And you often get that in relationships. You get a faithful wife, just being a good wife, being a good wife, and the husband doing what he wants to, and she just remains being a good wife because she understands covenant, and that's when you get abuse. That's just one example. But if both say that, it's profound, it's life-changing, it's fruitful, it's joyful. And the Father is drawing us into a relationship like that. Do you remember Daniel 3, 17 to 18, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They understood covenant. You guys know what I'm talking about? They said, okay, bit of context. They're in trouble. They're about to be thrown into an oven, a very hot one. And the king is saying, aren't you worried? And they are saying, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us. But even if he doesn't, we will never serve your gods. In other words, we will do what we stand for. We will do what God wants us to do. And even if he doesn't save us, by the way, he never promised you that he won't save you from a fire. But even if he doesn't save them in that situation, they will keep on serving him. So they got covenant. They understood covenant. Even though they were in exile, they understood that. So that's the uniqueness of a covenantal relationship. So we can't... Like, people say, I have a personal relationship with Jesus, okay? I have a personal relationship with the Father, okay? That's not enough. You have to have a covenant with the Father. It's not fine to just have a personal relationship because when things get tough, you become impersonal because you're not in covenant. You don't understand covenant. So covenant is, is different. Okay, that's point one. Yeah, no, like... You guys okay still? It's all right. Okay, okay. All right, the second part is, is the mystery about the covenant we have with the Father. Sorry, Peter. These guys are jet-lagged. They flew from the States, landed yesterday. I don't know how they're still upright. <laughs> Quick story. I came back. I came back um, in March, and I was sitting in front here, and Joey was preaching. And it was, I landed that morning, like early, and I was sitting here, and eventually, um, I was like fishing like this. And I was like, Jock, just don't. And Joey's standing right here and he's preaching. I'm like, Joey's going to get offended because he's a, preaching a cracker. And I'm, I'm just like, and I'm, everybody can see me. I'm sitting in front here. And I'm literally nodding. nodding. Luckily, the chair next to me was, was open and my cell phone was on that. And the next thing I realized, I woke up as I was already falling towards the floor. I was already like, yeah, off balance already. And I, I, the idea flashed through my mind. I can either just sprawl and pretend like I'm getting slain in the spirit <laughs> or I can jerk back and recompose myself which would be worse because then everybody knows exactly what happened or and it all happened I was sitting like this I was sitting like this and I was like and I just got up and I grabbed my phone and pretended that I had a phone call and I, <laughs> and I went to stand at the back and I was like oh. <laughs> Joey didn't even think I was falling asleep so guys, if I'm really boring, just pick up your phone. Seth, you can just do that. It's, I'll be fine. <clears throat> okay, the mystery. Because 
the covenant has, a, has terms and conditions. It has consequences when you enter into something like this because they, they are teeth to a covenant. In the beginning, what we said is a blood covenant is if I don't do what I said I do, I could die. I could be killed. I give you the right to kill me. Even in Deuteronomy 29 verse 9, Clayton, can you throw that one up, please? The same sermon that Moses gives, it's just earlier. It says, carefully, sorry, I've got the wrong uh, translation. Therefore, therefore, obey the terms of this covenant so that you will prosper in everything you do. Can you guys see it's conditional? Can you guys see that? Obey so that. All right, so there's a condition to these things. And if you break the covenant, there are penalties. Uh, the same uh, chapter, verse 20. You got that, Clayton? Otherwise, I can just read it. It says, The Lord will never forgive the one who does this, who breaks this covenant. The Lord will never forgive. His wrath and zeal will burn against that man. All the curses written in this book will fall upon him. This is heavy stuff, guys. This is... <laughs> the Lord will bring him disaster according to all the curses of the covenant written in this book of the law. Now you're going, okay, that's pretty heavy. Isn't this the God of love? Isn't it the God who is love? Isn't this a forgiving God? What, but what good is a covenant if you can just ignore the penalties? There's no point to a covenant then, right? What if a, a judge just says, you're guilty, but who cares? You can go. What will you think of that, of that, um, of that judge? So you have a love side and you have a law side to this covenant, to this statement. I mean, we've written, read, the, read the scriptures about it. On the one side, and this is a, one of the key mysteries in the Bible, actually, one of the key mysteries, the law side, you must obey. I am a just judge. I cannot bless a disobedient people. You've all read that. And he must be like that. Imagine a judge that finds a murderer guilty. It's like, okay, you can have an ice cream. On the other side, there's a love side. He says, I will never leave you. Never. I will never forsake you. I will never give up on you. I will always accept you. He says, he says all that. I mean, if you read some of the Psalms, it gushes the stuff. So, you have this paradox. You have God saying, I can only bless you if you do this, and the other side it says, I'm going to bless you no matter what you do. So different people with different wiring land on different sides of this. Sides of this. Some people think very legalistic, and you, you probably know people like that. No, it must be this, you must do this, you know, you must, must, must. And the other people go, I can do whatever I want because there's grace, Father loves me no matter what. And the thing is, both of them are right. So, how do we marry this? And this is one of the biggest, biggest plot lines in the Bible. How does this get solved? The question is, are blessings conditional or are they unconditional? That's the question. If somebody had to come up to you today, hey, is God's blessings conditional or unconditional? Uh, yeah, because we just saw that it's both. Okay. There's even a scripture... 
in Judges 2, verse 1 and 3. In th- within three verses, okay, God says this. He says, I would never break my covenant with you. Two verses later, he says, I also said, I will not bless you if you disobey me. It's almost as if God has said, I've sworn to bless you, but I've also sworn not to bless a disobedient people. And they're both right. It appears conditional and unconditional. We're still talking about covenant. So, how does that work? How do you explain that to somebody that wants to accept Jesus, but he's, he doesn't get, you know, this doesn't make sense? So the answer is in verse 13 of that scripture. Clayton, can we get verse 13 up, please? Especially the second half. He wants to confirm you today as his people and to confirm that he is your God. And here's the thing. Just as he promised, so in the same way as he promised you, and as he swore to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So there's the key. How did he swear it to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? So let's look at that. That's in Genesis 15. I told you this is going to be scriptural. All right. So I want to set the scene here. This is Abraham. Actually, it was still Abraham at that time. And he's in the land, Canaan, and... God introduces himself to him. He's introduced him before. He said, leave, move here. That all happened before. This is after his encounter with Melchizedek. Go and, go and read it. It's very cool to read. And then God said, says to Abraham, I will bless you. Okay, Clayton, you must hang on with that one. Thank you. Uh, he says, I will bless you. And he promises him a place to live. He promises him wealth, prosperity, an inheritance, and he promises him an ancestry, and then he also promises that every other nation that engages with his family will either be blessed or cursed, depending on how they respond to them. Every nation, which is a big thing. Think about those promises. Then God says that in verse 8, how can I be sure, Lord? So then God says this, All right. From verse 9. Let's read it together. So this is God speaking directly to Abraham and teaching him how he sees covenant and the covenant he wants to make with him. He says, bring me a three-year-old heifer, which is an ox, I think, and a three-year-old female goat, three-year-old ram, turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Abraham took all these and killed them. That must have been a big mess, but imagine that, okay? So he killed those animals. He cut each one down the middle and laid the halves side by side. So imagine, there's a half a cow, there's a half a cow, there's a half a goat, there's a half a goat, and so on. So it's a mess. It's a bloody mess, all right? Okay? Okay. He did not divide the birds. Okay, next, next verse. Some vultures came down to eat the carcasses, but Abraham chased them away. Okay, so he was protecting this. He knew there was something special happening here. 
So he did that, it got hot and so on, it was afternoon and he got tired. So that evening, as the sun was going down, Abraham fell into a deep sleep, okay? Then he saw a terrifying vision of darkness and horror. Then the Lord told Abraham, you can be, here's the promise again, you can be sure that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land and they will be oppressed as slaves for a hundred years. Go on. But I will punish, punish the nations who tells this fortune. And he goes, after four generations, you return here to this land when the sin of the Amorites has run its course. So he tells him what's going to happen. You all know that's the story from Moses 400 years later, so he's really looking way, way ahead. But what the father was doing there, so we can read that and go, okay, that's interesting. But we don't live in those times. So what happened there is that was the, kind of, that was the way a covenant was made in those days. And you would always get a lord or a king making a covenant with a lesser person, a peasant or something. And the king wouldn't have to do anything. The, the servant would come and would walk between the carcasses and basically say, if I don't hold my, my part of the bargain, you can kill me. But the, the king doesn't have to. He's in charge anyway. So, so, so for us it doesn't make sense, but Abraham knew what was happening there. Did we read about the fiery furnace? No. So... The darkness that came down, some commentaries say it was a darkness of judge, judgment. So we'll get back to that. Let me get back. Uh, never mind, I can read it from here. The darkness of judgment came down, and in the midst of the darkness was God. He appeared as a fiery furnace and, and light. And he passed through the pieces as he promised to bless Abraham. So, a fiery furnace and light is like an oven in which things could get cooked, and it was also shining light. It's like a fancy smeg oven. It will be a fancy smeg oven going in between the stakes now for us to relate to, but it was, it was shining. But that was God's, God's presence. So what was he doing when he was doing that? Because Abraham was absolutely shocked by that. Because... God was saying, I will bless you. And God, by doing that between the carcasses, was promising that God commits that he will lay his life down if he doesn't bless Abraham. So he comes, he basically almost comes to an equal level and go, I make a covenant with you, and if I break my part of the covenant, I will have to die. So that was, that was the first shock, okay? That, but that was still normal, if, you know, I, I just explained it just now with a king and a person. But then there was a second shock. Abraham never walked between the carcasses. God never asked him to walk between the carcasses. And that was, that was the thing. He was never called to go through, so, and the ceremony ended. So God made the covenant with Abraham, so he not only said, what that meant is that he not only said that I will die if I don't bless you. What he's saying, if you don't uphold your side of the covenant, I will also die. Get that? He's saying, oh God, my, I'm going to die. I'm gonna, I will be the sacrifice even if you mess up. 
Not only if I mess up. So he's taking all the risk. Think about that for a while. I need, I need a few volunteers. Ethan, you're a volunteer. Come and stand here. That's how volunteerism works in the army. Who else? Anybody else wants to come? One, two more. Okay. One, two. One, two. You two. Okay. Cool. Okay. So, Ethan, I have a coin here. All right? So, we're going to flip it. If you win, you can keep it. You okay with that? All right. So, heads you win, tails I lose. Are you ready? Ready? That's, that's tails. I'll lose. It's yours. Okay. Come here. Have a look. Yeah. Okay. You ready? Heads you win. Okay. Tails I lose. All right. Let's see. Oh, it's heads. You win. Anya. Okay. Don't buy sweets with this. Heads you win. Tails I lose. It's tails. I lose. No worries. Thanks, guys. Well done. Well done. What are the odds of them all winning? Huh? I mean, really? That's, that's what this covenant was. Heads you win, tails I lose. That's what the covenant was. It was exactly that. That's what God came to tell Abraham and his people. If I mess up, you win. Or if, if I don't bless you, I better bless you or I die. And if, if you don't do your part, I also die. And he does that. But that's exactly what happened. We messed up and we keep on messing up. Centuries later, on Mount Calvary, darkness came down. And God was there in the person of his son, Jesus, on a wooden cross. And he was literally torn to pieces. And he was taking the covenant curse that God made with Abraham. He was taking the consequence, not because God didn't bless us or didn't mess, uh, he messed up, because we kept on messing up. If you read the Old Testament, we messed up all the time. Read Judges, read everything. I mean, it's just crazy how many times we did. 600 years BC, okay, before Jesus came and did pay that price, Jeremiah writes, Jeremiah 31, 31, the day will come, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. 33, this new covenant I will make with the people of Israel on that day. I will put my laws in their minds. I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. They will be my people again. The love relationship. He's honoring the love relationship. New Testament, because I've been talking a lot about the Old Testament. New Testament, Luke 22 verse 20. Jesus says, this wine is the token of God's Okay, this one is the token of God's new covenant to save you. An agreement sealed with the blood, sealed with the blood, I will pour out for you. Jesus knew, and he, he looked back to that, going, okay, now, as a God, I'm, I'm paying this price. And all we have to do in the new covenant is accept 
that Jesus paid that price. That's the new covenant. It's I win, tails he loses. So the new covenant is the culmination of God's saving work in his people. And he promises to put his spirit in us. So it's, it's the ultimate, ultimate blend of law and love. That's why it's conditional and unconditional. My mom used to call in our house. Will you coffee or tea? Do you want coffee or tea? And I would answer, yes. And she would drive her crazy. In the same way, is it conditional or unconditional? Yes. It's conditional and unconditional. But Jesus absolutely fulfilled the conditions of the law. So God, could so God could love us absolutely and unconditionally. So he fulfills and earns the blessing for us that's referred to in Genesis 15.3. So anybody, anybody who lifts the hands of faith and says, yes, Jesus, I accept that, then gets seen by God as if he's fulfilled that covenant. So the question this afternoon is, are you there? Have you accepted that? Because you are in a covenant. If you have. We could not fulfill the covenant. So God sends Jesus. And he, think about this. He steps into his own story. And he opens time, because they're out of time. And he steps into time. And he's on his own timeline. And then gets beaten, broken, for our sake. So Jesus is standing in front of us saying, I've done it, I've paid the price. It's done, it is finished, he said. On the cross, he said, it is finished, go look it up. So by receiving Jesus, you are entering into that covenant with God. That's what you're doing. So if you have done that in the past... That's what you've done. If you didn't realize the weight of it, you can do it again. And if you've never done it, tonight's a chance to do exactly that. He literally exchanged his life for our life. The thing is, our lives are pretty rotten, even though we think we're cool. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned, fallen short of the glory. Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death. But Jesus says in John 10 verse 18, I lay my life down willingly. He's willing, not like, ah, oh, now I have to go do this. My dad said so. No. I lay my life down willingly for our rotten lives. So a perfect life, he exchanges for a rotten life. That's a good exchange. Hebrews 9 verse 12. Clayton, can you put that up, please? We're almost there, guys. Once for all time, he took blood into that most holy place, but not the blood of goats and calves. He took his own blood, and with it, he secured our salvation forever. Verse 15. 
That is why he is the one who mediates the new covenant between God and his people, the new covenant, so that all who are invited can receive the eternal inheritance God has promised them in Genesis. For Christ died to set them free from the penalty of the sins they had committed under that first covenant. How cool is that? Heads I win, tails you losers. It's unfair. So that's the message, guys. I hope it's not. I hope you got all that. And, and if we spent the next year just working through this, that's fine. You know, because this is one of the key things in the Bible. I believe the Father wants us to get this. As I said in the beginning, we've got the values last week, but this underpins the values. This is the why. Why do we want to do those things? Why do we go on an outreach to Hootsbreit? Why do we tithe? Why do we do what we do? Anything. Why are we here? Because of this. Because now we respond in obedience. We can't help but to respond in obedience because of what he's done, of who he is and what he's done. And we can trust him because you can see how he's acted. He's acted truthfully, trustworthy, in love. We can trust him. And the third thing about that is if we are all in covenant with the Father, then that's his church. So we have to be together because we share in the covenant with him. That's why we can be accountable because we all have the same covenant. And that's why if you are in covenant, you can't just be on your own. You must be drawn into a church, into a family where it's shared because you have the same inheritance, the same destiny.